Holy and Human. I'm Adam Foley. And I'm Elisa Romeo. Today we're talking about attachment theory and the soul. Hello everyone and welcome to another podcast of Holy and Human. I'm excited about this show because yeah. we've been talking for a long while about doing a show on attachment issues. I see it and we see it together. I see it alone in my individual sessions with people and then we see it in our couple sessions. Adam sees it alone in his individual sessions where attachment, our early attachment stuff can really influence our current relationships. And that's why it's really good to start to identify your style and look at your inner child of what's going on there and, and start to bring love and healing to anywhere that has been wounded. Yeah. And I think also attachment theory, we think about it in terms of relationships, but also it really affects your sense of self, your sense of self-worthiness and your uh, sense of self-love. And I have those as two different phrases as one being your ability to take care of yourself and love mm -hmm. yourself. And one as your ability to receive love from another person. I mentioned to you how even you can see in COVID people's different reactions to whatever, wearing a mask or different things based on their attachment styles too. You, oh, so that's interesting. attachment isn't always just within your relationships, but it can also be your relationship to change, your relationship to the unknown, stuff at your job. So yeah. it's really, it's really a good way to get to know yourself and through kind of like a shadow lens, usually the place that we don't normally see because yeah. it's, we usually just take for granted our attachment style, kind of assuming it almost like it's everyone's projecting it out because it's, it's hard to see. It's hard to identify by yourself. Yeah. And Elise and I really prioritize and see relationships as a spiritual journey and a spiritual path. Because we think it is a profound and radical thing to become really close to another human being. And that can be intimate, uh, romantic, or with your children, or with a friend. Because it actually is a radical thing. I think when you create true intimacy with somebody, you're, you're bringing your authentic self to the world and expressing it to somebody else and getting it received and they're bringing their authentic self and you become the sort of mirror. I call it like the divine mirror where we start first mirroring the authentic parts of each other, but then in that authentic self, there's the soul self and our divine nature. So the more we just peel back our uh, projections and attachment issues and uh, traumas and all this. We Defenses and resistances. Yeah, we yeah. just start peeling back these layers and get to our divine nature, who we are supposed to be on and this planet. And that's true love is like, I think, you know, there's so much, I, I often say most of the relationships we see are more relating on an ego to ego level. Yeah. And that's not like I'm not trying to shame or say that's a bad thing. It's just a limited thing in that you might. That's what's encouraged. Yeah. You know? And that's really what in Western society, it's kind of just what's expected and known. It's like just looking at the other personality. You did this. I didn't like it. Here's what I'm going to tell you about it. Then they did this. They didn't say I'm they're sorry. And not looking at the energetics, the true energetic intentions, having no ability to kind of move more into the multidimensional relationship of what is 
energetically going on and also on a soul level what's happening with the soul contracts the soul lessons so i think what's unique about us talking about attachment is we're not just going to be talking about bulby's attachment theory or even the awesome book attach we're going to kind of also see it from the perspective of energetics and a soul level yeah and that's what we bring to the table and it's so useful for the ego we always see ego is not a bad thing but ego on its own can be destructive ego in service of soul can be incredible and useful and so our new material we're working on called holy love talks all about our this, new book our new book this multi-dimensional relating so it's kind of taking marriage and family therapy information my background and bringing it also into the spiritual realm and then into relationships where it's relationship as a spiritual path yeah so the whole theme of the book is being able to use your intuition to look at what is your partners or whoever you're in relationship there uh, energetic intention is this coming from a wound or do the is there an authentic emotion here that really needs to be seen and held and it saves you so much time and really we just think it's a miracle like if you think about it we're incarnated in these physical separative bodies and we have these consciousnesses for that will be embodied for maybe 80 to 100 years if we're lucky and then we have these moments these opportunities to have true relating these yeah. moments that are real that are deep that are honest that are transparent and so much of our relating is often surface level and it doesn't even necessarily have to be how deep you know someone you can have like a really true deep exchange with the post office worker in five yeah. minutes if you're energetically coming with presence and awareness and kind of know what to look for so we see these psychological tools and techniques of like understanding attachment theory and things like that is just serving that purpose it's another system that helps us to be real with another person when yeah. and how and where we're coming energetically and emotionally into connection yeah and i think that's the purpose uh in my opinion, of spiritual work is mm -hmm. to become more real and more involved in your life opposed to uh, less involved in your life. And so, you know, we kind of break the traditional model of to become spiritually enlightened, you need to go up to a mountaintop and meditate. Cut and be, off all your egoic attachments and separate from everybody and so be, that you're oh, yeah. very much only between you and God. But we see well, God is being the love behind everything as the creator. That can appear anywhere in yeah. the darkest moments and places, even if you're looking in the right way. So it's not to become detached from relationships and people, which I think is traditionally taught in some New Age circles uh, and some historic uh, tr traditions. Buddhist but circles. Yeah, and, <laughs> I was going to say, mean, but I avoided it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's a lot of modern Buddhists too that bring in the relationship piece like Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, but, uh, it's about being real, really real with the people in your lives and f finding the God in them instead yeah. of going out and finding God in the sky on a mountaintop or and between your it. thoughts, yeah. which it's like, that's useful because yeah. you know, what's great to be able to meditate so you can in that way yeah. in the more traditional kind of enlightenment They both have their places so that you can lower your blood pressure so that you can hear and maybe do some inner child yeah. work or sustain sustaining whatever's being triggered in yep. the relationship work but but let's dive into attachment yeah. theory good intro yes uh uh so attachment theory uh was discovered by john boldby and the theory is based off of that your first years of development the attachment uh you have with your parental figures uh affects your entire life 
and affects your relationships and external success and all of that. And so we can, there's they in uh, the book Attached by Mir Levin, uh, he talks about three different attachment styles. And so we can have a secure attachment, uh, which is when we have that trusting bond with our parents. And that happens when our parents emotionally reflect us, when there's a lot of eye contact, there's physical cuddling and contact. Um, there's just a, a feeling of being seen and supported consistently. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean this parent is perfect all the time, but they know that this parent is reliable mm -hmm. source. We call of it love. good enough parenting is yeah. actually what they call it, where mm -hmm. it's kind of like nobody's perfect. No one's going to reflect their children 100 percent of the time. But there's almost like, let's say you're getting 80 percent of the time. That's enough to establish a healthy attachment. And mm -hmm. one side note is that um, people do label the different styles differently depending on kind of like where you're coming from in attachment theory because yeah. some people say there's four different ones. We're focusing today on the three. From the book Attached. Um, Which yeah. is a lot and helpful. You can do a lot with that. And these are the three I use in sessions as well. Yeah. I find they cover the bases well enough yeah. uh, for identifying stuff. So uh, then there's three different styles of insecure attachment. Uh, so the first one is avoidant attachment. So this happens when you, the parent, you grow up in an environment where there's n little to no support when the child is in emotional distress. And th these can be very normal things. Like the child falls and skins their knee and the parent is like, get up, you're okay, you're fine. You we know? talked about that yesterday because yeah. we were at the park and we saw this yeah. little boy running and he tripped on this big rock he didn't see. And, and the I, dad came... Yeah run you know he took that moment like kids do where they're like wait i'm gonna be okay or i'm gonna freak out right now and he just chose the freak out moment and um, we could see he wasn't too like physically hurt but that it was more of, i was sort of intuitively getting that he was scared he was surprised, surprised by yeah. something this is what at least i do we are like walking around and we're like always psychically looking <laughs> yeah, at what's like, happening is this kid us. okay and what level yeah. is going on there and it was yeah. like okay he's just scared and then we saw we look around to see is there an adult and there's dad across the field he like comes running running over. across the field and then I was surprised how quick the kid transitioned out of hysterical crying to being totally okay because he was just emotionally scared. But that's a good example of like a healthy attachment response and that he's like, yeah. I'm scared. Is anyone there? Oh, dad's here. I can be okay and now run off with my friend and have fun because my emotional needs were met in that scenario. Yep. I was scared and somebody came and comforted me. Yeah. And so when we don't get a lot of that, we have avoidant attachment. And so... And as an adult, what that can look like too is that internalization of when you're having a hard time at work or your boss yells at you, repressing, not feeling your feelings because you've maybe have the inner gremlin of like, get up, you're like a wimp if you have feelings about it or any of that. So these things also transfer into how we self-care as adults. Yeah. So avoidant attachment can show up too as we start becoming uncomfortable with our own emotions. So if we feel sad, we tell ourselves that's not okay. Mm -hmm. If we feel scared, we we shut it down. And so we start having less of a vibrant emotional life. Mm -hmm. We have more of a controlled uh, status quo that we try to maintain at all times. And that makes us uh, uncomfortable with deep emotional contact with another person. And so if things start getting too heated in an argument are too emotional there's a response of this is 
not a safe environment and I need to remove myself. And so the removing themselves is that avoidant thing. Mm -hmm. I think you see this a lot in men where there's this, where culturally in America, we're raised a lot of, you know, don't be a pussy and Mm -hmm. get up and uh, you're fine. And so in relationships that ends up, if there's, if their partner is sad or if they're sad that they end up withdrawing. Uh, but one thing that is interesting uh, about avoidant attachment style is sometimes they will use actually grand romantic gestures in the I beginning. I just have to say real quick, uh-huh. um, whenever I, you know, the don't, <laughs> the don't be a pussy always reminds me of the Betty White quote, which is like, why do people say grow some balls? Balls are weak and sensitive. If you really want to get tough, grow a vagina. Those things take a pounding. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Anyway, so in that wow. note, well, that's I just true. Had to, that's true. I just had to bring that in because yeah. I think of that every time I hear that that phrase. Maybe it actually is a perfect metaphor. Grow some balls, be very sensitive, and, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and keep those to yourself. <laughs> we could use more of that interpretation. Yeah, wow. that's really funny. Uh, man, that made me lose my track of thought. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, what I was saying was, uh, so the avoidant type can actually do these grand romantic gestures in the beginning of a relationship mm-hmm. as a way of not being, in- like, uh, having close intimacy. It's uh-huh. a way of doing something that's so big and so grand that it looks like love. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually a way of telling somebody you love them without, like, being real with them mm. of taking those quiet moments of when you have so a more like silent moment. persona like yeah. i'm doing an action but it's yeah you know, not coming from that deep felt connective place yeah like i'm more comfortable telling you i love you through a birthday card than i am in person mm. you know type of thing um just looking at my notes here yeah, and so then the next type, I'll just move on to the next type. I'm sure we'll go back and find like different examples. examples because we see this a lot with Should different Should we talk clients. about now what we are as we're... Well, let, let me go through the types yeah. first, I guess. So the next type is anxious avoidant. And this happens when you have inconsistent um, reflection from your parents. So you never know if sometimes you skin your knee and your parents going to say, get on up or, uh, or ignore you or minimize your feelings and sometimes they will show up so this can happen i think often with a parent that is like traumatized or something and the parent is halfway there or has mental health issues yeah Yeah. and i think this also happens for parents that are physically present or or like yeah Mm -hmm. and it can happen with parents that are physically there that are showing up they're like i am showing up to the school plays i'm showing up for all the things on paper it looks like i'm a good parent but I'm actually not emotionally reflecting or connecting with I my child. I see that a lot with adult women who are searching for relationship but may, having a challenging time finding it where sometimes dad was there, but then like not really present. present yeah. So there's this thing of the story in their head is like, I came from a good home and dad was there. But then when you get into kind of really the feelings, yeah, there's a lot of like... Um, confusion because it's then yeah. not accepted or talked about is it's not as obvious if dad was like gone as an addict or something it's yeah. like dad was working long hours and then showing up and this and that um but also if dad was just kind of distant with mom too and just seeing that yeah it's the illusion the of yeah. having a supportive parent which yeah. can be v- very much confusing yeah uh, 
And, and sometimes you don't even understand that's happened to you until you're like 30s and 40s. Yeah. I remember being at Pacifica Graduate Institute and everybody started, you know, doing psychotherapy work and looking at their family stuff. And I remember this one woman in particular who's like, my family was great. We were, it was, everything was great. And then as she started diving into kind of attachment stuff and looking at like that, just really having like collapsing of the narrative and, and then working through her feelings, feeling her feelings around that and then yeah. getting to a healthier relationship with all of it so there's this emotional insecure feeling and it can result in sort of this clingy behavior and how that shows up with kids often is they'll have these big tantrums or uh, displays of emotion to try to get the parents emotion uh, mm. emotional reaction from the parents mm -hmm. so if they sense that their parent is emotionally vacant mm -hmm. they're like what can i it's testing behavior i'm going to do these big acts to see if I can gain your attention, to see if I can activate the emotions in the room. Maybe if I can activate them, I'll feel more secure, like there's something real here. Uh, but then usually it's actually followed by an immediate, once they get the attention, then kind of avoiding that attention mm -hmm. because they still feel insecure about it because that behavior didn't work uh -huh. because they're getting the wrong type of attention. And that shows up in adult relationships all the time. Yeah. You see people in a relationships lot. getting so mad about some small thing. And it's not the thing itself or the, what their partner did or said. It's they're having this emotional reaction. And then the partner comes to the rescue saying, yeah. how can I help? What can I do? And they say, well, actually, I don't want your help anymore. Mm -hmm. Now that you're here, I still feel unsafe about yeah. this connection. I did that in my 20s in relationships yeah. where I would be like, feel like I wasn't being seen or met on a soul level, not really have the cognitive ability to kind of communicate that in a way that made sense to yeah, me or them. few people do. And then withdrawing in a kind of like passive aggressive way of like, come seek me, come chase me. Yeah. Um, and then when the person didn't being rageful, yeah. even though my soul would be whispering to me, it's time like, you didn't really even communicate what you needed. Yeah. Um, and then feeling almost like, well, I don't want to because he should know what I need. And if he loved me, he would, yeah. you know? So you may have guessed, <laughs> Elisa has had degrees. We So we all have degrees of attachment issues, you know? And I would say even the most secure attached people have little degrees of these behaviors. Yeah. Uh, but in our past, I think Elisa would have identified with anxious attachment and I would have identified with avoidant attachment. And, and I think we were at the beginning of our relationship still residue of that. And I think yeah. being together is where we really deeply healed that because you were consistent and yeah you know demanded true communication from me you would call me on my stuff if i mm -hmm. started like pulling away into weird inner child stuff and, and... you were highly intuitive and psychic <laughs> so you would know if i was trying to vacate or like leave from an energy that wasn't actually healthy that you would call it out and i would become aware of the feeling so that's a lot of what we do in the holy love work is really psychically looking at your partner and what the what's going on with them even if what even if it doesn't match up with their actions and behaviors so one thing that i think is really important to touch on is uh independence is so encouraged in american culture uh that it's you're supposed to be able to be okay without your partner right and i would That's say like, more so even for men though for women in terms yeah. of gender roles usually yeah um, i'd say in the in the uh, in this generation, it's more encouraged. It's been more and more encouraged of women yeah. as well. But yeah. But I think 
Yeah, there's so much we could talk about that. But well, I think I, yeah. in general, what's do you know the percentage of more, how men are more avoidant and women are more anxious attached? I don't know the percentage, but I know that men we are more We see avoidant. that a lot. Yeah. Like I would say the probably the most common pairing we see is anxious avoidant women oh, yeah. mm-hmm. with avoidant attachment men in heterosexual relationships. Yeah. In homosexual relationships, it can be all different yeah. depending. So I wouldn't... See, yeah. But usually Just, it still is an anxious and an avoidant kind of combo. So that actually is the most most common type of relationship is mm-hmm. the avoidant and the anxious and i'll talk in a second about why that, that kind of the most works. common that's the most common yeah and uh i'll talk a little bit how that works but i just wanted to finish on that independence front is even in therapy often we're encouraged you don't need a partner you need to be able to stand on your own two feet and so you ever, never should be so emotionally reliant on a partner that you feel like you need them to help you with your emotional state. Yeah. And I would say that there's truth I to that. I did have that training too, even yeah. though I was still anxious avoidment. Like growing up, it was like, yeah. be a strong woman, be independent, never, you know, don't yeah, your, rely on a man. Your family encouraged that quite um, a bit. Yeah. yeah, I was raised in kind of like a feminist household. Yeah. But still... Yeah, uh, I'm personally more was like anxious than avoidant, but where we a lot of the time focus on the strength of being able to really properly communicate your emotions to mm-hmm. somebody else and seek help and be able to lean on somebody. Yeah, and that I think is really complicated interdependence and, as yeah. opposed to dependency, like codependency. Yeah, or an independence where you're like, I don't need anything from anybody ever. There's like a healthy way to have interdependence, yeah. which can be challenging to kind of really like navigate and read through in the day to day with finances and stuff in in a household and childcare and Mm -hmm. who's doing what. And yeah. Yeah. Especially if your parents are busy and stressed, you have to be able to lean on each other. If you both have avoidant attachment style, that's really hard to pass back the baton of daily life. But so avoidant attachment. Also, I've talked to many women who are like, I went in thinking, I do the kid work. He could just do his own thing. And then the kids come and it's like way more overwhelming than you think. Suddenly you're needy of your husband who yeah. might not be showing up that way emotionally or in terms of like gender role labor around the house and then resentment and then yeah. um, pulling away and falling out of love because it's like, if you don't get that support, not knowing you, how yeah. to lean on them and also them not knowing necessarily how to, how to help. Show up. Yeah. So I would say that often avoidance, attachment issues can look like a healthy person on the outside because i think often in relationship that shows up with somebody saying oh i just need you know my alone time i need my man time in my man cave or i need to i'm gonna go on a trip with my buddies or something like that and so often it can look like very normal behavior that's like very normal in our society it's like oh yeah you everybody needs their independent time i think everybody does but I think avoidant attachment style can go unseen in that behavior often for a very long time. How would time. you say what's the energetic difference between someone who's taking healthy time for themselves versus they're actively in an avoidant attachment energy? If they are willing and able to uh, um, rely on their partner for their emotional needs. Mm-hmm. And if they are uncomfortable relying on mm. their partner for their emotional needs and uh-huh. feel like they need to get it with their man friends over here Mm -hmm. in a way that's more removed you know i see that a lot with even men i know where there's this feeling of i can only have emotional connection if we're doing something else alongside each other like we're going off hunting or playing pool or i don't know we're engaging in this behavior and we can kind of have little tidbits of emotional conversations masked underneath all these layers of like the activity we're doing yeah and so and that is as much emotional 
uh, fuel as they can get or uh, needs they can be met. They're like, I can only be met this much. Yeah. And if I met deeper, I actually start getting afraid that yeah. the, and I start become fe- fearing this relationship will crumble or it's unsafe. <laughs> I think or... we talked about this the other day, but I can't remember what we were saying about it, about how I used to date surfers when I lived in California and I was like very into I thought surfers were just like the coolest. And then I found when I was dating surfers that it felt a little like I was in a triangular relationship. They're like my relationships with the ocean. ocean. And because the amount of time that they would spend checking the waves, just being, you know, it really felt like, and some people refer to it like the mistress, you know? And then it's this weird thing. You're like, I want my partner to, you know, be themselves and enjoy their hobby and their their lifestyle. But then also like, you're always like second to the ocean. And we were talking about that the other day. Second how... to the ocean. It's a <laughs> hard like, competitor I think, there. I think there is probably a high population of male surfers that have avoidant attachment and that it's yeah. like, it is where they meditate, process their emotions and really do create such like a deep and intimate relationship yeah. with the feminine of mm-hmm. the water. Yeah. Um, and it's not that like all surfing is like bad or anything, but that it does feel like it's also kind of supported by the culture. Yeah. And so this is why the most common relationship is avoidant attachment and anxious attachment. Because if you have two avoidant attachment people come for a date or something, they both avoid each other when it gets emotionally sticky. Uh And if you have two anxious people, it gets really fiery and combustive really quickly. But if you have avoidant and anxious, there's one person that's like, I am feeling emotionally uncomfortable with the situation. I'm going to try to vacate. Uh And then the anxious person is like, wait, don't do that right now. Mm -hmm. Stay here. And that can actually be a healing process. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to remember, especially if you're identifying with one of these types or identifying your partner as one of these types, that this is very normal behavior. And the healing process to this is to actually just identify your attachment style and then keep trying your best within the relationship to grow intimacy. It's not like you need to shut down all your behavior of needing a little independence or these things. Uh, it's just warming up to each other. And this is what we do on cop- couple sessions. Uh, what our whole book is about is how to create a secure attachment through that. Uh, but then we make it a holy attachment too. And all that being Coming said. Coming from soul instead of just ego. Yeah. So the third type of uh, insecure attachment is fearful avoidant. So this can happen in severe situations. If you had an abusive parent, if you have like PTSD uh, or complex PTSD, PTSD, or if you were raised even in an orphanage yeah. or things like that. You're doing like so, eye contact as a child. Yeah. So you have a, a general mistrust of love, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And when you hear people talk about fearful avoidant, almost every time they'll say, and in this case, you need to go see a therapist. Yeah. Because you are afraid of the very thing that you need for healing, which is love. And so as soon as somebody comes close, that's what you need so badly for your nervous system to decompress, for you to find a state of relaxation and healing where you can release trauma. The very thing that will provide that for you is triggering you. So you're kind of caught in this catch-22 of trauma. Uh, But I would say we have seen so much uh, healing happening through soul journaling. Yeah. Soul journaling and soul dialoguing. And soul incarnational work, which yeah. we'll be doing in our mystery school of just the, yeah. the physical body movement stuff to bring soul in the body and release in the nervous system and the fascia and the cells, yeah. the history of trauma that's stored in the body. 
Yeah, and it just, you start connecting to your highest love self and bringing that love into your body yeah. first. Yeah. And that opens you up to being able to receive that from other people. I can think, well, I used to work at an incest survivor agency in Seattle, and you would see that a lot when there was severe abuse, especially very young to a lot of my clients. And there was, it. I remember once a client saying like when she heard the baby cry, how she feels just like rage and disgust towards the baby. And mm. that's because that's how she was viewed as a yeah. baby and, and internalizing that and then starting to the resistance and anger towards like if that baby's being healthily kind of taken care of the yeah. rage that would bring in her of like, well, I didn't get that yeah. and no one cares. And once you identify that and you can start to bring love to that place and kind of do these mini soul retrievals yeah. to that, that layer of things, um, massive, massive, massive transformation can occur. Yeah. And then I'd like to do a shout out to secure attachment people. Uh, shout out. That'd be a hilarious t-shirt. Yeah. Shout out to secure attachment. You keep the world together. <laughs> Thanks. You're helping the rest of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, parents. Uh, so secure attachment. In the United States in America, uh, secure attachment is often really undervalued because it's not considered sexy and it's not portrayed in the media of something that's attractive because often uh, we're looking for these wild and hot relationships. I like the to use Johnny's Depp as an example because yeah. even though now he's more of like an unhealthy alcoholic, well, when he was younger, I mean, it's more generally kind of commonly identified as like, I don't know, I don't know if he's considered as like hot out there these days now that he's older and stuff but when he was at in, one point he was <laughs> one yeah. point yeah. and i mean back when he was like kate moss and like destroying hotel rooms yeah. and stuff i mean i'm this really is curious not, where you're going this with is this. not a healthily secure attached person it is not but it's thought of to be like the bad boy so yeah. it's for mm -hmm. women that are drawn to the bad boy mm -hmm. um it's looking at like why am i attracted to somebody who's avoidant or yeah. someone who's unstable is that because there's a part of me that's truly terrified of of direct personal intimacy. So if I have somebody who I'm either need to heal all the time, like a little wounded bird or somebody who's always I'm chasing, then that yeah. makes me safe in my ability to not have to face my attachment issues. Yeah. I think we love culturally this push and pull relationship, this mm -hmm. idea of like, I'm chasing you, you're running, are you coming in? And it, it feels like it's passion. Yeah. But a lot of times it can be pointless drama. There is a book I like by Sidra Stone called, I, I believe it's Sidra Stone called The Shadow King, which is yeah. about the inner force, force that holds women back. I recommend that if somebody's really trapped in that kind of an attachment to the unhealthy, avoidant attachment yeah. style person. Yep. And so secure attached people actually sometimes have trouble getting uh relationships because they'll go on dates with people mm -hmm. and there'll be this feeling of i don't need to prove myself yeah i don't need to act or perform for the other person i don't need to do these grand act romantic gestures mm -hmm. because they're actually totally okay with themselves yeah. and they expect the other person to be totally okay with them yeah. as they are and so they show up and they're like yeah i'm a dentist and this is what i do <laughs> i was like what's the I mean, most, like, what's the most secure, secure attached really? position uh you know and so there's this and so uh yeah it's just not portrayed as like a sexy thing in our culture uh but secure <laughs> when you are married or with somebody who has secure attachment it is a very healing experience and can be uh because what in arguments if you get into an argument with somebody with 
insecure attachment issues. Mm-hmm. It usually ends like you can, you one. Uh, I'm kind of getting lost in my track here, but one example I have of somebody who has avoidant attachment is if they're in an argument with their partner, and if it's about something completely unrelated, mm-hmm. it's about like who took out the trash that day. They might say something at the end of the argument like, why are we even married? Mm-hmm. Or I should never yeah. even have been with you. Yeah. Or something that's like way out of left field, yeah. very dramatic feeling. And it and it's suddenly, it feels like they're taking an issue and then it's suddenly questioning the, the, whole the whole relationship, the strength of their relationship, all their past experiences. Yeah. Which and is very like, traumatizing for the other person, especially when yeah. it's used as a regular threat. Exactly. Destabilizing. And that's because the avoidant, when the issues come up, they think, this is not safe, this is not secure, I should get out of here. Yeah. Where often the secure attached person, when they have an argument, will never once question the bond of the relationship or the validity of their marriage or these things. And so they can get in these big fights, but they always, they they have less time after the fight of restabilizing, of getting back to themselves because they have a general trust. Mm-hmm in the relationship and trust and love. And that came from their parents and their upbringing, this feeling of I can trust love Mm -hmm. even if we fight, even if we have disagreements that we generally come back together and have a home base. This can sometimes be very frustrating for anxious avoidance, uh, sorry, for anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. Because if you're in an argument with somebody and your partner's not having a huge reaction, yes. you're like, why didn't you take yes. out the trash? And you're and you're yelling at them and they're like, oh, sorry, honey, I just didn't think about it and uh, I'll take it out next time, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And they have this, these sort of calm responses. Yeah. Sometimes the insecure attachment style can be like, why don't you see me? Why aren't you getting more passionate? Yeah, I mean, that's why what I used to interpret things as like, you don't love me because you're not emotional, which is also yeah. kind of an Italian cultural influence of like, yeah. if you're not screaming, you obviously don't care. Yeah. And <laughs> so. it's just harder to get worked up if you have secure attachment style mm-hmm. because you have less at stake mm-hmm. where avoidant and anxious both think that the whole relationship is at stake. Did I ever say things, I feel like I did in the beginning of the relationship, like dramatic things like that, and then storm off, or I remember one time, well, we had our own weird path where because we were having all these crazy spiritual things go off when we came together, it was a lot for our egos to navigate, and I remember like one time you saying like, because you, Adam used to work on like fishing boats and was off doing a lot of kind of independent alone journeying of which the was world. a result of my avoidant attachment i write about it in the book if you want to hear my personal stories and i remember one day we were like in a fight and we we're trying it was almost like we were both kind of in that can't live with you can't live without you where we we're really trying to integrate our new yeah uh like identity stuff that was shifting but we just didn't know how it was really hard in that moment mm-hmm. and i remember um you saying like i I'm totally screwed because I realize like I can't get away from you. Like if I go to Alaska and I live like alone in a cabin and I fish up there or whatever, like you will still haunt me <laughs> like something like that Yeah. of like, I'll still like have that connection to you. Yep. No, I remember this. I remember that night very clearly actually. And I think I, I remember it because it was a big healing night in some ways because that was my go-to. My mm-hmm. go-to was, this is feeling uncomfortable, so now I'm going to eject from this situation. And I did that all the time. I barely lived at my own home growing up. Uh, I would I lived up in Alaska and in India. Peru and India and just all over. 
Um, even with my friendships, I was uh, avoidant uh, to some extent uh, because it was just more comfortable for, with, for me. And then as soon as I met you, I realized that if I left, I would be really missing you and that I loved you. And so there was kind of this feeling of like, I can't ever escape. Because if I if I wanted to the the wisdom of no escape because if I left you, I would always be a little heartbroken and so I think that was kind of the first like I don't know experience of real attachment that I allowed in and enough. And I think you're somebody who has enough self awareness to courage them when you identify that because a lot of men kind of live in that but then yeah. they just like. Or they don't realize it, it until they actually go through the divorce or yeah. whatever. And or they're, they're actively in a new addiction yeah. of drinking to not yeah. feel the feelings. And I think, you know, you're, the credit to you is that you're like recognized it and we're like, oh, there's a part of me that's scared and running. What is that? Yeah. Where is it coming from? How can I heal that? And how can I like yeah. face it? I'm going to backtrack for one second because I just looked at my notes. And I when I said earlier <laughs> that people with insecure attachment drop out of high school 77%, I was like, that doesn't sound right. And so I just went out and looked at it and it said uh, they can predict with 77% accuracy if mm -hmm. somebody's going to drop out of high school or not based off their oh, insecure wow. attachment. So that was that fact. So well, I actually just kind of dissociate anytime someone says, says a, fact. a fact. So for me, it meant very little <laughs> yeah. because some I'm not like yeah. a tea on the Myers-Briggs person. So I'm yeah. more of like energetic. I'm feeling into kind of more of the, yeah. the emotional level of what someone's saying. Yeah. But interesting nonetheless. And last, the, <laughs> and we probably the other shouldn't fact, be quoting inaccurate yeah. facts. The but. other fact was they said 91% of kids with insecure attachment 35 years later had more health issues. So there's just a certain sense too of when you're not feeling safe in your nervous system that those things come up. Yeah. Yeah, but in the beginning of our relationship, back to that, if there's any more juicy I mean, stories I to think, share. I drama. think one story that really changed it for me a lot, well, was... When I channeled my soul at you. <laughs> yeah, there's so many of those moments. We So we have this story in the book. Should I, a little... Which one? I know I just interrupted your story. Uh, in the beginning of our relationship... I was avoidant attachment, so I, and just my whole lifestyle was like that, so I like traveled, I was a musician, and I was touring from these different towns to town, and, and then- Which to me was also sexy from a period, from yeah. a perspective, avoidant attachment, like, he's a free bird, so I can like have feelings towards him, but he's also kind of like yeah. running around and isn't going to be too threatening well, to uh, my- Well, maybe there's some issues. orchestration in that. Pro that's what yeah. I was just thinking. Yeah. Like you were probably, God was like, okay, make him this floaty musician, yeah. kids. <laughs> but <laughs> then when I met Elisa, you then, when our relationship got more serious, you were like, how can I trust that you're going to be here for me? And how are you? Yeah. And I And I don't trust that. And I kept sort of trying to show you or tell you. I tried to convince you that I would be here, but yeah. nothing, no words would work. Yeah. And so I talked to my soul. So this is a great example of here, Elisa's having a anxious attachment uh, projection on me where I really was like, I'm going to be here. Because I, I recognized who you were and I knew that I couldn't live without you. Yeah. And so, and that's not anxious attachment. By the way, there is <laughs> there is something to soul. There is connection, reunion, and contrast. Yeah. So. After all that's being said, I think that there's this the the same words and there's actions. There's a difference between soul love and ego dependency. Yeah, and the same words and actions can look yeah like uh this 
Yeah. Same thing when it's two different things. And so this is why you need to start feeling into the energetic intentions and where it's coming from, from that person. Mm-hmm. Are they saying this from a place of codependency of, I can't live without you because I have really insecure childhood trauma, mm-hmm. or I, I can't live without you because I recognize really who you are and yeah. I would be so sad without you. But anyways, uh, you were, you didn't trust, couldn't trust me. And I talked to my soul and my soul's like, say this to her. And it basically was, I know you don't trust that I'm going to be here and there's nothing I can say or do to convince you otherwise. And I'm just going to have to prove it to you day by day. And you're just going to have to watch that I'm here every day and I'm going to keep proving it to you. And that had a surprising effect. You were kind of like, wow, okay. I think it's also the way you said it, the energy in which you said it was like, I could feel you weren't like coming from an ego place. It felt like a soul channel thing. Yeah. 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 And I think there's masculine and feminine dynamics of how that conversation went down too. You were yeah. truly in your masculine soul when you delivered that message. So I yeah. was like, oh, you know what? And then, you know, yeah. and I probably had a little bit of an Italian reaction like, well, we'll see. Or, yeah. you know, like some kind of testing yeah. attachment yeah. thing. But then I could also tell by your response to that, that you were yeah. holding your grounding and really not being, you know, like affected by my own energetic reaction. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think our trust has just built over time, too. And so there's an element, too, of that in relationships. I do think you're a genius in knowing how to say something to my ego that my ego needs at the moment and then, like, giving me space or knowing psychically, like, how and when to deliver the information, then leave or whatever to let me process it and then come back and follow up. And you have really good timing with that. Well, I learned from the best. Learn from <laughs> Thank God, because I'm, I'm a tough cookie, so yeah. I needed somebody to be able yeah. to handle me. You basically needed to train me how to be psychic and I'm going to train you yeah. to handle me. Yeah. Um, so uh, we are would like to do a podcast soon about projection, because that's a huge that's another topic huge coming up. I think we can wrap up this yeah. discussion. I do want to say also around that time, and, and this is something that um, I wanted to make sure was in the podcast is that it's also really tricky when you're in your ego of like, can I trust this person? Um, when I met Adam, I was like, I don't know. I mean, I'm coming out of a marriage. Like, am I, and I have like a three-year-old, is this person going to be in his life for two years? I don't want him to like come in my life and then leave and hurt my son. And I also don't know since he's younger and a musician, like what that means for stability. Like, is he, will we build a life together? Is he going to be touring on the road? And when I journaled to Sophia, my soul, she said, this isn't about trusting Adam right now. This is about trusting me, me, Sophia. And I'm telling you to go in this direction right now. And I understand more than your ego about who this person is, what you're going to get from it, the medicine of that situation. And she did know that he was legit and would be real and be enduring. My ego probably couldn't have handled if she said that to me at that time, because I probably would have like, how do you know? And just like argued. It was almost too triggery. So she also knew kind of like how to work with my ego of how to like handle that and take that. But and then I remember asking her, well, what if it only lasts two years? And she was like, well, it'll be the best goddamn two years of your life because we were having so much spiritual just opening and everything. But I also think Sophia wasn't, the soul is about the highest good for all involved. So my son's soul contracts were connected to that. So it yeah. wasn't setting him up for some type of emotional abandonment. So I think at the end of and the day- that son now is- 12 years old 12 years old and i forget that i'm his stepdad because i feel like his father and 
Yeah, so they had was... an immediate bond, and he started flourishing yeah. when they had connections. So there was yeah. their own soul contracts between the two of them that were so meant to be. And I think that's what happens when you are having a soul reunion instead of just meeting a new ego. And the way you can find the people in your soul tribe and family and your soulmate is by talking to your soul because she understands or he understands more than your ego about who and how to trust. So just know yeah. that if you can't, you don't know who to trust and all that, start by learning to trust your soul. Because when you start to trust your soul, your soul does start to work you and your shadow stuff with your intimacy and projection issues and starts to shed attachment stuff so that you can be more open and available for true relating on a soul level in all your relationships. So yeah, soul Amen. journaling, soul journaling, soul journaling. It really, if you're doing it right, a lot of people like to read Meet Your Soul, but less people soul journal because it is a discipline it is a practice and if you're doing it not just from ego but using it as a way to raise your brain state to theta and talk to your higher self it is crazy how how accurate it is a miracle. And helpful it is yeah yeah well we'll end it there we will uh talk to you guys soon hopefully uh hopefully quarantine won't hold us off from podcasts too much we would love it if you rated and reviewed our podcast on Tell your Apple friends Podcasts. and family. And if you know anybody yep. working through attachment stuff, send them this yep. episode. We wanted to get out we there also so it was just have, information for people. Yep. We have an Instagram for our new work coming out, which is uh, at the Holy Heart. Mm -hmm. Is that that yep. handle tag thing there? And also, we are just sending this book off to our agent and so i'm just gonna request some prayers from you people because i believe in prayers and the power of prayer and so if you want this work out in the world just send us some good vibes <laughs> just just give us a little prayer and so, say say hey angels help this fly these yeah, with these talk wings, to your though. soul and say hey soul let's <laughs> give these guys some good juju and get this going so because that's uh what we're doing so yeah well lots of love everybody take care bye